1: Chris Rye, he's the co-founder and managing director for Zambezi, Inc. He's going to join us to discuss the new Genius Campaign featuring Los Angeles Lakers superstar Kobe Bryant. Zambezi, Inc. does a lot with Kobe Bryant. They have several other clients as well related to sports. We'll discuss that with Chris Rye in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, Jeff Ma. He's been on this show before. He's from ProTrade.com. He's the focal point of the new major motion picture, 21, starring Kevin Spacey, Lawrence Fishburne, and Kate Bosworth. 21 hits theaters on March 28th. It's based on the real-life story of several MIT students who bring Vegas to its knees for millions of dollars by counting cards. Ma is a regular. He's going to share his story with us, and we're going to preview that movie in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blogger download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, I've been away attending to some personal business. Thanks for holding down the fort. Bobby, thanks for holding down the fort. Big news this week, one of the faces of the NFL. Really, if you're putting five faces on the Mount Rushmore of the NFL, Brett Favre is one of those faces after 17
2: seasons. He calls it quits. Yeah, I'm bummed. I'm a big Brett Favre fan. I've loved watching him over the years. You know, there's a big sports business element here. Brett Favre brings a lot of casual fans to the NFL because of his name. Well, I mean, you look at when Michael Jordan
1: retired from the NBA, when Wayne Gretzky retired from the NHL, uh, earlier on when Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer went away, before Tiger Woods came along and breathed life back into golf. Anytime you have iconic names, who bring in that casual viewer, it's tough. But the NFL is the strongest league in America. They will go on without Brett Favre. They'll probably still have good ratings. But a lot of the people in Green Bay, it will be interesting to see how do they approach football Going
2: forward with Bobby's guy, Aaron Rodgers, as the new quarterback of the pack. I know. I I don't doubt that uh, Lambeau Field is still going to sell out every single season because in Green Bay, they eat, sleep, and breathe football. But I think that a piece of their heart got ripped out this week when Brett Favre left.
1: Coming up next, we have headlines. We're going to tell you just how popular Brett Favre was when it came to jersey sales. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education.
0: Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger.
1: It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, as we discussed before the break, Green Bay Packers quarterback Brett Favre this past Tuesday officially announced his retirement after 17 years in The NFL. The NFL Network this week in response offered 30 hours of programming. Now, the interesting thing that I saw from our good friend Darren Revell from CNBC, he noted that Favre ranks first all-time in NFL jersey sales, third this past year. He's sold over 51,000 number 4 Green Bay Packer jerseys over the course of his career. And Nathan, the interesting thing about that is we talk all the time on the show about Guys that get traded, Allen Iverson and Kevin Garnett are guys that change jersey number like Kobe Bryant.
2: He had the same number the whole time, yet he's number one on the all-time jersey sale list in the NFL. Well, what's what's also interesting about this is the Packers jersey hasn't really changed that much in the last 16 years. You know, jerseys tend to change, and that's why people buy the new jersey or a throwback or this, and it really hasn't changed. And for me, what also is surprising about this is how long— Brett Favre was able to hold that number one. I mean, you, we talk about Yao Ming and how everybody in China basically owns a Yao Ming jersey and how right. people are buying Kobe Bryant. You think that everybody in the United States already owns a Brett Favre jersey, and they don't, clearly, because he's still selling jerseys. Well, and most people in Green Bay own a Brett Favre jersey. 51,000. And there, it's the smallest...
1: Uh city in the league for an NFL team so you would think again you know at some point everyone already owns a jersey who else is there left to buy one I don't I don't I don't either but I'm tempted to buy one well and I'm sure his merchandise is going to be hot the other thing to keep your eye out for he is going to be wooed by the TV networks will he go into TV or is he just going to go play golf and go fishing my bet is on the latter. Our next headline, Oklahoma City residents this week voted 61.9% to 38.1% in favor of a proposal to upgrade the Ford Center in hopes of landing an NBA franchise, approving a one-cent sales tax through June of 2010. About $20 million of the $121 million raised will pay for a new NBA practice facility with the rest of the funding going to the Ford Center renovations. Now, Obviously, everyone knows that Clay Bennett, the owner of the Seattle Sonics, wants to move the Sonics to Oklahoma City. But another interesting development this week, Nathan, is that uh, a gentleman who is tied into Microsoft and several other investors there in Seattle have said, Hey, we got $300 million here. We want to buy the Sonics from Clay Bennett. But again, Bennett has said, I have no interest in selling the team. I want to move the team to Oklahoma City. Will another franchise, like the New Orleans Hornets, owned by George Shin right now, may they one day end up in
2: Seattle? That could be what happens. Well, I think the key here is the lease agreement. If Clay Bennett can't get out of the lease agreement with Seattle in the key arena, then maybe he thinks, you know what, maybe I will just sell this team and get out of this thing so I don't have to hang out here for another two or three years. I think that's the only way that Seattle is gonna, the Sonics are going to stay in Seattle. Otherwise, they're gone. They're in Oklahoma City.
1: Our next headline, Carl Edwards' first stint atop the Sprint Cup Series point standings. It was short-lived. NASCAR on Wednesday penalized Edwards 100 championship points for a rule infraction involving the oil tank lid cover discovered following Sunday's victory at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, taking him from a 21-point lead over Kyle Busch all the way down to 7th place. Edwards also lost the 10 bonus points he would have received When the points are reshuffled for the championship chase, should he be one of the 12 drivers to qualify for the 10-race playoff? Also, his crew chief, Bob Osborne, was fined $100,000 and was suspended for the next six races. Uh, Roush Fenway is going to appeal. Bobby, you're our resident auto racing
0: expert. Uh, Give us the lowdown on this. Here's the thing you got to remember, it's early enough in the season that he still has a chance to regain those points. Yes, he won't be able to get his 10 points back that he was penalized, but you got to remember, the end of the season when they reshuffle for the chase, those 10 points could keep him out. And, you know, he's out. Sorry, man, bad luck. You know, the thing with a new car is this year is everybody's trying to find that edge. And they got caught cheating. Our next headline, the 49ers. I like this headline said that Monster
1: Park, I've never liked that name, will again be known as Candlestick Park, the name that they had when they were in their heyday in the 80s when the team's naming rights deal with Monster expires in June. Now, selling naming rights to a new stadium in Santa Clara or San Francisco is expected to net the 49ers at least $100 million, but for the
2: time being, Nathan, it's no longer going to be Monster Park. It's going to be Candlestick Park, I like that. Well, you know what's interesting about these older stadiums like Candlestick, like we've been talking about with Wrigley and Fenway, is they're always known by their original name. I mean, even though Monster buys them or PG Park or whatever, they're always known as their original name. It's always going to be known as Wrigley. It's always going to be known and referred to by the locals and people outside as Candlestick Park. So this is great, but people always refer to it as Candlestick. More sponsorship news with a team. The Boston
1: Red Sox and Coca Cola have officially unveiled the Coca Cola Corner. It's a section that will add more than 412 new seats down the left line at Fenway Park. The branded area is part of the extension of the Red Sox partnership with Coca Cola. Coca Cola has been a Red Sox sponsor dating back to 1912. Now, Nathan, we also talk about the Red Sox. The Red Sox. Play in the smallest ballpark in Major League Baseball. The Yankees are building a $1 billion stadium to move into with all the luxury suites, the amenities, all these different revenue streams. The Red Sox have to do things like this and brand certain areas of
2: their park to try and keep up with. People like the Yankees. Well, yeah, and that's why they put on top of the Green Monster a couple of years ago a bunch of seats up there. They're expanding the ballpark as much as they possibly can. But you know what? The Red Sox are still going to sell out every game. And as far as I'm concerned, they're as close to the Yankees as you can get with merchandising and Red Sox Nation.
1: It's also worth noting that the Coke-branded section marks the tenth branded area inside the ballpark since principal owners John Henry, Larry Lucchino, and Tom Warner acquired the club back in 2002. Our next headline, Adidas this week announced that Reebok head of global marketing Uli Becker will replace Paul Harrington as Reebok president and CEO effective April 1st. Becker will report directly to Adidas chair and CEO Herbert Hainer. Meanwhile, Harrington has been named CEO of Eastern Bell Sports by the company's board of directors. Nathan, uh, Adidas, has. Fallen
2: short of expectations a little bit. So has Reebok since they merged a few years ago. I think a lot of people expected a bigger outcome from this merger, and we've actually seen them slip a little bit. Nike's really gained another edge on Reebok and Adidas, and I think we're going to have to wait and see if this merger is actually going to work for the long run. Our last headline of the week, it's a fun one and I
1: like it, and it is dealing with two of my favorite companies, Nike and Apple. We have talked before on this show about the Nike Plus, the running system, bringing athletics and innovation together. Nike and Apple are working with several gym equipment makers and health clubs, 24-hour fitness, and Virgin Active Health to allow members to plug their iPod Nano into cardio equipment. The Nanos would be able to track workouts, set goals, and upload the information to a Nike website, and the technology is expected to be in more than 500 gyms worldwide by this summer. As I say all the time with the airplanes, Make a little dock so I could put my iPod in there and it charges it. This is great to see that Nike and Apple are doing this when it comes to working out as well. So you don't just have to be outside. If you're a member at a club, you can
2: enjoy this technology as you know well. What? I'm going to actually disagree with you, Brian. I think that it's really cool what they did with the Nike+. Plus. I think that's awesome. But plugging into a gym equipment, that really doesn't do it for me. That's a big deal. And the other frustration I have and have had since they launched the Plus is I have a video iPod. And I have to have a Nano in order to use this system. I've got the shoes with the Plus. I can buy the chip for $30, but my video iPod someone, is not compatible. Yeah, maybe someone needs to send you the Nano. Somebody out there needs to send me the Nano. I will promote it on the air, and I will mention but your a, name. How many times have you gone into a gym, and the little uh, speakers are tuning into the TV? You can't get it to work. Yeah, but that's that's fine. But the, the whole thing is now everybody's got them strapped to their armband. It doesn't really matter about the plugging into the machine. So it's a cool t- technology, I'd like to see different things.
1: Coming up next, Chris Rye. He's with Zambezi, Inc. He's one of the co-founders of the company. He used to be with Wyden and Kennedy. He and his partners have worked on many of the Nike basketball ads. Through that relationship, they forged a relationship with Los Angeles Lakers star Kobe Bryant, who is now a part investor in Zambezi, Inc. We're going to hear about Kobe Bryant's new genius campaign, as well as some of the other projects that uh, they're working on. Coming up next on Sports Business Radio.
0: Or online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Really confused about the business side of sports? This is Sports Business Radio.
1: My guest is Chris Rye. He's the co-founder and the managing director of Zambezi, Inc. He's joined us on Sports Business Radio before. Chris, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. So give us a little history for those people who didn't hear our interview with you before when you were on about a year ago. Tell us about Zambezi, Inc. You guys have been open for a few years now.
4: Yeah, we started Zambezi, I guess it was summer of 2006. Um, Some of the core founding members were myself and uh, Brian Ford, who's our creative director at Zambezi. Brian and I worked very closely together as the lead account and creative, respectively, on the Nike basketball business while we were at Widening Kennedy in Portland. And we had an opportunity to start up a shop down here and seek out kind of that next layer of challenges. And, uh, yeah, we're coming up on our two-year anniversary this summer.
1: And when you say down here, I've been to your offices, you guys are based uh, just a stone's throw away from uh, the ocean there in Venice Beach. Uh, That's got to get the creative juices going, I would imagine.
4: Absolutely, especially when we see you know, the muscle heads walking across the street into Gold's gold gym here, which we're just kitty-corner from. But, you know, certainly there's a lot of stimuli down here from a creative standpoint, but one of the main reasons why we pitched our tent here was the um, density of creative talent in terms of production artists, designers, photographers, web people, graphic people. So much talent here in Venice that we're able to tap into. So that was the structural reason why we set up here.
1: Well, and the other main reason is uh, the guy that you work closely with, Kobe Bryant, who happens to be the superstar of the Los Angeles Lakers, having an MVP season. You guys, as I've said before on the show, I've written on the blog, I think produce the best athlete website on the internet, KB24.com. First, Chris, talk about your relationship with Kobe, and then talk a little bit about KB24.com if you would.
4: You bet. I mean, obviously Kobe is a big part of what we do here, and you know, taking this trip down memory lane is helpful for me even because Kobe was our first client here at Zambezi Inc. And knowing that we had a, a, a brand name, premium client you know, like Kobe right out of the gates gave us the confidence to, to start the shop. So Kobe is a client of ours, and um, the first large-scale project that we tackled with him was the website, of course, you mentioned, kb24.com. Um, we built that. I guess we premiered it. Uh, on the eve of the season last year, so um, late 2006. And, you know, we've had a lot of success, you know, anecdotally in terms of reviews from experts like you. But, um, you know, the the site traffic continues to be strong. We're creeping up close to 12 million unique visitors since we opened the site. Wow. We average about 40,000 uniques per day. And, um, you know, we're able to keep the content fresh there, um, which I think separates it from most athletes' official sites. You know, where you go to a site and uh, there's a press release on the homepage from two years ago sometimes. Right. Come to KB24.com. You're going to see every morning fresh editorial content, links to any news about the Lakers, about Kobe, about hoops and and basketball culture. And then, you know, we're refreshing video content on the site. About once a week we've got new video on there. So it's a a robust offering.
1: Yeah, and the amazing thing about Kobe is I was with him in September in uh, Beijing, China, I mean, his appeal globally is really remarkable. Uh, I spent a day with him in September and could not believe the popularity that he's got in other countries. In China, as you know, is such an emerging uh, economy. And, gosh, if he can start selling some product over there, uh, he's going to make a ton of money for himself and for Nike.
4: I'd agree. Um, you know, two things spring to mind. You're talking about a, an athlete, an American athlete, whose jersey outsells Yao Ming's in China, which is, I think that statistic is circa maybe last fall, but a really remarkable statistic for Kobe. And, um, you know, your point about the the fan base he's got in Asia, one of the other uh, really neat components of KB24.com is the thriving uh, forums that we have. And we have Kobe heads from all over the world, you know, literally from Long Beach to Shanghai to Germany to Korea, talking to each other every day about, about, about Kobe. And, um, you know, they find that he's the common ground for, for their enthusiasm and and their love for the guy.
1: Now, Kobe has, uh, taken an interest in Zambezi Inc as well. I think he's a, a minority investor, but, uh, you know, it sounds like he's got a creative side to him. He likes to have some input in the campaigns that you guys work on with him. Uh, talk about that a little bit, if you would.
4: Yeah, you bet. I mean, you know, And this is a trend I think you're seeing more and more with athletes being really interested in getting hands-on with the way they're brought to market. I think you see it at sort of a kind of, let's just say, down-and-dirty level with a Chris Bosh. You probably are familiar with, maybe you're familiar with the Steve Nash web video that went up earlier this year that I know Steve played a role in the production of that piece.
1: Yeah, that was fantastic.
4: And, you know, it's a similar with Kobe he as you said is a creative guy he really gets how brands are built and and how certainly how his image works we have a you know a, a body of work that's led to a high degree of trust with Kobe in terms of knowing that we at zambezi are going to strike the right notes creatively that remain true to him true to his game bring him to market in an authentic and you know at times unexpected way but always, you know, always resonating with things that are really true about that athlete and that man.
1: My guest is Chris Rye. He's the co-founder and the managing director of Zambezi, Inc. Uh, Chris, let's talk a little bit about this new Genius Campaign uh, that's on your website now. You guys uh, produce that uh, independently of Nike or anyone else. Uh, Give us some scoop on that, if you would.
4: You bet. We call it the Genius Campaign. It was uh, developed by our creative directors here at Zambezi the aforementioned Brian Ford and his partner Ian No. And, you know, the assignment for us was to create some breakthrough marketing communications to support Kobe's signature Nike shoe, the Zoom Kobe 3, which um, the first colorway just dropped in February, and I believe there's other drops coming up later this spring. But we are selling that sneaker on the website, on kb24.com. So, you know, in terms of breaking breaking ground, you're talking about an athlete's website that has gone through the logistics and the red tape of establishing itself as a retail vendor for Nike product. That is a first. And because we've got that those economic incentives in place, we wanted to make sure that, you know, the shoe was treated, you know, as properly as possible. And, and we wanted to create a campaign that was you know, sort of a throwback in that it puts the sneaker front and center because really I think kids are ready for that. They love that stuff. You know, they're the ones waiting in line and camping out on the curb to get the shoe the next day. It's really an object of desire. So we said, hey, why make it an afterthought in the marketing communications? Let's get it out front where we know kids want it. And the second component was, you know, to bring Kobe to those same kids in in a fresh, unexpected, kind of fun, inviting way. Um, so the genius campaign is five spots, uh, breaking each week exclusively at kb24.com followed by a broader on and offline rollout.
1: Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, to me, seeing the shoe, that's terrific, but showcasing Kobe's personality and, uh, you know, when he was with Adidas, I just didn't see that in his spots. And in some of his other spots, that's been one complaint that people say, hey, he's a tremendous basketball player, but I don't see his personality very much. So I thought you guys did a really good job of showing his uh, humorous side and his personality in this campaign.
4: Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brian, as you said, you've spent some time with him. And we all know that Kobe on the court is a killer and a closer and all those things. And that's, for the most part, how he's been marketed. And I think, you know, where we as marketers maybe fell short was by not tapping into those other sides of his personality sooner. I mean, he's a funny guy. He's a smart guy. He's he's very interested in history, you know, not only basketball history, but, you know, art and science. He's a guy who speaks multiple languages. He's a, a really cosmopolitan guy. And the Genius Campaign, you know, put simply, is um, Kobe personifying some of history's greatest geniuses as a... Way to get at the genius of the technology that's gone into Kobe's shoe. So come to the site, check out the spots, and you're going to see Kobe playing ball dressed as Leonardo da Vinci, complete with long flowing beard and robes breaking off a 360 dunk. And likewise, Albert Einstein, Mozart, and others. So it's a campaign we had a ton of fun producing, but again, feels like it's true to a side of Kobe that maybe some people haven't seen yet.
1: Chris, we've got about three minutes left. Uh, Zambezi has other clients besides Kobe Bryant. Why don't you tell us about some of the other projects you're working on?
4: Sure. Um, you know, coming from the world of Nike and the world of Widening Kennedy, you know, some of the the low hanging fruit, so to speak, is definitely sports marketing, um, and we've been able to build our agency um, with you know a lot of really exciting at bats within the world of sports. So beyond Kobe as a client of record for us. We are the creative agency for the LA Lakers. We are in our, I guess, third season of doing work with them, and they've been a great, uh, a great client and a great partner. Um, obviously, that's a, a world-renowned brand and franchise, so we're Absolutely. lucky to, to be in business with them. Um, interestingly enough, we're also doing creative work with the Blazers. Um, we we collaborated with them in sort of a creative consultancy capacity, but um, we're helping them get some campaigns off the ground a really rock-solid franchise and a rising franchise as well, so we hope to continue that relationship. And we've got other clients on and off the field, NFL, NBA, et cetera, but um, we've also got mainline clients. We are the agency of record for Teva Sports Handles, a.k.a. Teva, and that's one of the things we're trying to clear up is that yeah. it's indeed Teva, uh, so we're going to continue to work with them. We're excited about where that relationship is going. And you know we've got an energy drink, we've got uh, some children's brands, we do a little bit of work with Comcast, and we do a little bit of work with Mattel. So people are starting to come to us not only for the sports stuff, which we feel like is right in our wheelhouse, but you know we're able to um, be a little more versatile in the products we're able to go to market with as well
1: well Chris uh, for fans of Kobe Bryant for fans of uh, NBA NFL and all your other clients it's great to see the work that you're doing uh, give a quick plug for your website if you can
4: you bet um, check out uh, zambezi com if you're able Zambezi like the river and then com. and um, you know we are uh, we are doing a ton of work and we're growing every day but um, we're here we feel like we nail the sports stuff and we feel like we've got a ton of creativity and capability in the off uh, in the off the field market as well. So, um, next time you're in Southern California, Brian, you'll have to stop back by again.
1: I would love to do that if you make your way up to Portland, uh, stop in and see me. Uh, continued success, keep up the great work. We'll do. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio.
0: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Business Radio.
1: My guest is Jeff Ma. He's with ProTrade.com. He's the focal point of the new major motion picture, 21, starring Kevin Spacey, Lawrence Fishburne, and Kate Bosworth. It's in theaters on March 28th. Jeff, I know you're extremely busy this month, so thanks for taking the time to join us.
3: No problem, Brian. i always got time for you.
1: Thank you very much. You're a big star now, so I'm flattered that you still have time for us. Hey, take us back, the people who aren't familiar with you, take us back to the origins of Bringing Down the House, which is the best-selling book. It really brought your story of bringing Las Vegas to its knees to life. How did the book come about?
3: Um, actually, it was uh, almost a collaboration between myself and Ben Mezrich, the guy that wrote it. Um, I approached him and said, hey, Ben, I've got a great story because I had been a professional card counter for the period of about uh, six, seven years, and I thought it's, the story would make for a great book. So I talked to him about it. He said, uh, I don't know. I've kind of heard you know the similar pitches, things like that. But then I took him out to Vegas with me, and he said, God, we've got to write this book. So he took it to his publisher. He sold the book. Um, the next thing we knew, Kevin Spacey attacked himself as uh, for the movie, and then and the next thing we know, you know, seven, six, seven years later, it's actually going to be a major motion picture coming out March 28th.
1: So when he talked about wanting to write the book, you said you took him out to Vegas. What did he see in Vegas that made him say, "Wow, this is an amazing book in the makings"?
3: Um, he just saw us. We were professional card counters and we would go into a casino and we'd be rock stars there and give us anything we want. But yet we'd walk away with hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, by using math to beat blackjack. And that was our gig. So I think that that impressed him enough, especially since he saw the dichotomy in our lives where we were sort of MIT kids by day. And then by night we were these rock stars in Las Vegas.
1: How did this MIT card counting, uh, team come about? I mean, were you just sitting around one day and someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, look, uh, you know, I've seen the clips for the previews. It Was it that simple? Um, you know, it was kind of
3: just that simple, except it was really not so much as they recruited me. It was something that,
0: you know, uh, my
3: friends were doing or my friends of friends were doing, and finally with my roommates, and my roommates were leaving every weekend to go to Vegas, and I was just like, God, where are you guys going? And they said, we're going to Vegas. And I said, well, can I come? And they said, well, only if you learn the system. So I eventually learned the system and so I could go to Vegas with them on weekends. And then um, eventually that led to you know, them telling me how much money they were making. And I said, gosh, this sounds too good to be true. Sign me up.
1: Let's talk about this system for a minute. Obviously, you're a numbers guy. You've done consulting with the Portland Trailblazers. Obviously, you've got ProTrade.com. Uh, numbers, what can they do for you and how did they work for you in Las Vegas?
3: Um, well, basically, Blackjack is the only game in the casino which is subject to continuous probability, meaning what you see impacts what you're going to see. And what we were able to do over the course of um, roughly seven years is, is use that notion, because when there's a lot of high cards left in the deck, it's in the dealer's favor. When there's a lot of low cards left in the deck, I'm sorry, when there's a lot of high cards left, it's in the player's favor. When there's a lot of low cards left, it's in the it's in the uh, dealer's favor. So. All you're doing is tracking the number of low cards to high cards that are left in the deck and then betting accordingly.
1: My guest is Jeff Ma. He's with ProTrade.com. He's the focal point of the new major motion picture, 21. It's in theaters on March 28th. Jeff, I've seen the clips for the movie. It looks like a tremendous cast. How much input did you have and how much time did you spend on the set of the making of this movie?
3: Um, I was there actually a few days, uh, probably maybe two weeks total. I have a cameo in the movie, um, which was so much fun to do. Um, I'm in there for about, uh, you know, acting debut is about three or four minutes They're They're going to nominate me for a new Academy award, (laughs) best actor, best actor in a movie for less than two minutes. And, Uh. um, but no, it was a blast to do. And, you know, I would always, you know, being there and having the director ask me for advice and ask me, you know how how would I say this, or what would I do here, and that kind of thing. It was just an amazing experience, and you know, I, I you know, I can't thank the the studio enough for getting me involved.
1: Well, I got to ask you this, and if it's too personal, just uh, tell me to butt out. But it sounds like you but and out. Ben wrote this book. Well, then does does the Movie studio? Do they buy the screenplay from you, or do they collaborate? Like, do you make any money off of this, or are you just getting yeah, to I enjoy make a the ride? Bit of
3: money, I, I I make a little bit of money. I mean, it's, it's it's more Ben's story, the book, as far as, and he makes a little bit more. But it's sort of it's sort of not about that to me. It's about the notoriety I could gain from it, and the other things that I could do from it. Um, you know, nobody makes a lot of money in movies except for actors and directors in the studios. The actual author Ben doesn't make that much, and, and Ben and I have a, a, you know, a deal where the more books that sell, the better that it is for both of us. So we're all in this together.
1: So you just mentioned it opens up some doors by being in the movie. It gives you some notoriety. What are some of the things that you'd like to do? If you could parlay this into something else, what would that be?
3: Um, You know, I really don't know. Like I haven't thought it that through strategically. I'm just kind of looking at what happens. You know, if someone offers me an opportunity to do this or do that or, Um, you know, I'll just kind of weigh it all. I've had some opportunities already presented to me and I'll continue to weigh them all. You know, right now I'm very focused on pro trade and and also something we're doing on pro trade called Double Play TV, where you actually can go there right now and you can actually see, um, you know, how we beat the casino for millions.
1: So Bill James, I'm sure you know who Bill James is. He's a uh, full-time employee of the Boston Red Sox. He's a numbers guy. What if... The New York Yankees or some team, I know you're a Boston guy, the New England Patriots, one of your favorite teams called you on the phone tomorrow and they said, you are a number savant. We want to hire you full-time to come work for our organization. Is that something that would interest you? I don't think
3: I would. I don't think I would leave to go work for an organization. I love you know, working with teams, but unless I was really heavily involved with the ownership group, I think it's difficult to work for a team and to really get the, make the impact that I would want to make.
1: Let's talk and more. I know that,
3: and I know that's probably a very unpopular thing to say, given the fact that if you had asked me four years ago if I had a chance to work in sports before I started Pro Trade, I would have jumped. That's the opportunity to be a peon or an intern in a company.
1: Well, things change, and you get to appear in movies, and uh, you got a lot more opportunities at your uh, disposal than you had a few years ago, right?
3: Yep, absolutely.
1: So let's talk more about the movie. It opens March 28th. Uh, Give us the highlights of the movie. What should people expect when they go into the theater I mean, to watch this movie?
3: It's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's like the It's your opportunity to, to, you know, feel like you're beating the house just like we did. I mean, we beat the house, and we were the few, we we're few people that beat the house. You know how it is when you go to Vegas, flight out there, everyone's happy, everyone's cheering, but then the flight home, everyone's sad and everyone's hungover because they lost. Well, we were the few people that actually left Vegas feeling like winners, and I want everyone who sees that movie to feel that same way. And it's just a really fun movie. I think most people will leave it excited. Um, I just talked to someone from the studio, one of the presidents of the studio, and he watched and felt like he was hoping that it'll be this generation's risky business.
1: That's interesting. That's a great comparison. And, you know, I got to say, just from seeing the clips, Lawrence Fishburne looks like a pretty uh, good bad guy in this movie. Oh,
3: he's a wonderful bad guy. I actually screened the movie sitting next to him. The whole time, as he was hitting the character that was based on me, he was laughing, and I thought that was a little weird.
1: And was Kevin Spacey, you mentioned earlier in the interview, was he the first person on board? Because he's a great name. Obviously, if you get him involved, maybe it gets Fishburne and Kate Bosworth and people like that on board.
3: Yeah, he he attached himself to the project really early, which was great for us. And, um, you know, him attaching himself to the – really just gave it the, you know, the validity and the, it just made it a lot more real.
1: So when I had you on last time, we talked about your life and you alluded to it a little bit. Uh, you know, you were going to Vegas on the weekends, but I mean, you I think you told me in one of the previous interviews you were dating an NFL cheerleader. I mean, again, this is sexy stuff. Give us a taste of what your life was like when you were going through this.
3: It really just was a blast. I mean, I, I dated an NFL cheerleader I had two-floor suites at hotels. I had VIP everything in Vegas. And then the one thing that's so funny and that ca- it captures so well is I had a duality in my life, where back in Boston, I was just a normal guy. But in Vegas, I was a rock star who could, you know, at one point, I remember I went to go see a fight, and I met a bunch of the Knicks. And then when I went to go the, to the fight, I shook hands with Alan Houston and Patrick Ewing and John Thompson, the uh, the co- former coach of the Georgetown. I shook hands with them as I was walking in the fight and then walked. 20 rows in front of them to my seats.
1: Oh, my gosh. So you're sitting in front of them. So did you use different names when you were in Vegas every weekend, or did you have the same name and you were known by that name?
3: No, we used different names. We used all sorts of pseudonyms. So we definitely did our fair share of, uh, of, you know, aliases and whatnot.
1: And without giving away the ending to the movie, uh, how were you guys ultimately discovered here? Um, well, it's just it's
3: not a it's not a difficult thing for them to figure out once they have a clue that it's happening. So there was eventually a detective who's the Lawrence Fishburne character who followed us around and figured
1: it out. And then, I mean, did you have to give any money back, or was it just no, hey, you're no, just banned keep, from Vegas?
3: We got to keep all the money, but I don't want to give away the ending for the movie, so you'll see what happens.
1: All right, um, let's talk just a little bit here about some of the other stuff that's going on in the world of sports. Who who do you like in the NCAA tournament? Who's impressed you college basketball-wise this season?
3: Um, I really like Tennessee. Um, I like what they do. I really like UCLA. Um, I think that if it's Tennessee-UCLA matchup, that UCLA ultimately wins. Um, I still think Georgetown is a dark horse. Um, I think that um, they're a team that will gel in the tournament and they're a difficult style for people to prepare for. And, uh, I mean, those are probably the three teams that I like the most. Um, I think Kansas is still lacking kind of a go-to guy. Um, I'm not extremely sold on either UNC. uh, UNC can't defend anyone. And um, Duke, I think, is going to be a little thin in the middle to play in, in March.
1: What about Memphis?
3: You know, the problem with Memphis is I just don't think they have enough shooters. And you kinda of saw that in the Tennessee game where right. in the first half when in the beginning when they were shooting the lights out there right there. But Tennessee just let them keep shooting threes and eventually they shot themselves out of that game.
1: Uh quickly, Brett Favre retires this week. Give me your thoughts on Brett Favre.
3: Um, you know, it's sad that he went out with that last game as his memory, but I think his analysis where he basically said if I come back and do anything short of winning the Super Bowl, it's a disappointment. So if that's your standard, then you have a very high standard, and maybe it was a good idea for him to hang it up.
1: You're a Bay Area guy. You watch Montana. You watched Young. Uh, where do you rank Favre in the mix of great quarterbacks of all time?
3: Um, I don't think he's as good as those guys. I mean, I love Favre, and and I think he, Favre was a media darling. But Favre made mistakes that those guys never made, and he made them a lot. And even in his last game, he made those. So, I just have a hard time comparing him to a, a Montana or a far sorry a Montana or a Young or a Brady.
1: Last question: Give a plug for the movie if people want to find out showtimes online if they want to get the website. How do they do that?
3: Uh, well, March 28th it comes out, and um, you know it's it's going to be about in pretty much every city that needs to be. It's going to be a very wide release. So they can go to 21-movie.com to uh, get all the information about it, and it comes out March 28th.
1: And is the premiere in Las Vegas, I would imagine, right?
3: Yeah, the premiere is in Las Vegas March 12th, next Wednesday.
1: And where are they doing that at the Hard Rock or anywhere? They're doing it at Planet Hollywood. Planet Hollywood. Well, Jeff, I know you've got lots going on. Good luck with the debut of the movie. Thanks for taking time to join us here on Sports Business Radio this week.
3: Okay, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Yeah. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business. Radio will be right back.
3: All you need is a heart and a new steel. Viva Las Vegas. Viva. Las Vegas with your neon flashing and your one on band is crashing.
1: Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, We'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.
0: The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We
1: are back with our final segment on this weekend's edition of Sports Business Radio. Well, the price of admission to sporting events rose 4.3% from January of 2007 to January of 2008. The overall U.S. rate of inflation over the same window was also 4.3%. By comparison, the cost of alcoholic beverages consumed away from home was up 4.4%, and rental of videotapes and discs were also up 5.7%. So Nathan The cost for entertainment, whether it's sporting events, whether it's going out and having a drink, or whether it's renting a DVD at your local
2: movie place. Uh, it's going up. Well, around the Super Bowl, we talked about how expensive it was just to go to the game anymore. The casual fan can no longer go to sporting events, and this is a perfect example of 4.3% is a significant amount. You know, tickets are the cheapest anymore, 37 bucks to go to a baseball game. You, you increase that by 4%, you're up to $40 for one ticket to a baseball event. I You know, it's just difficult, and it's frustrating for me because the little kids can no longer go to the games. It's all the rich people
1: okay so i got a question for you and for bobby all right if money were no object and you could go to one entertainment option whether it's a sporting event a concert uh anything else
2: what would it be nathan you go first i would have to say that i would go to a concert before i'd go to a sporting event uh you know i don't know i feel like a concert's more unique i'd go see someone like the rolling stones who you know aren't going to be around much longer the yankees baseball it's always going to be around i'll always be able to catch a game If we're
0: we're talking this year, I'd love to see a game at Yankee Stadium before they they move
2: Yeah, that's a good call. I would have to say
1: uh, I've been outside the gates. I've never been inside. I'd probably like to go to Augusta National and uh, check out the Masters. Uh, Won't be going there this April, but uh, one of these days, that's on my list. The British Open is probably uh, close behind. A lot of thank yous for this week's show. Our guest, Chris Rye from Zambezi, Inc., Uh, Jeff Maw from ProTrade.com. You can catch his movie 21. That's in theaters March 28th. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on the man anytime you want. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can also find us on Apple's iTunes. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.